Hello and welcome to the Leadership and Insurance Podcast. This is the podcast that brings you the greatest innovation change makers in the world of insurance and insure tech. We speak to innovation leaders from carriers and brokers. We speak to insure tech founders and C-suite executives. And we bring you all of the people that add value to that community, whether it be private equity, venture capitalists, or even people like organizational psychologists and thought leaders and futurists. We try really hard to bring you the most innovative people in the world of insurance on a global basis. So with that in mind, we'd love your support. So please like, share, follow or subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your host, Alex Bond. Welcome to the Leadership Insurance Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by FinPro. FinPro is a leading insurtech specialist recruitment business that operates on a global basis. We have delivered assignments across North America, throughout Europe and into Asia. We are super excited to speak to anyone who has some recruitment challenges that is either starting or scaling a business. And we're confident we can help you find the people to help you innovate the world of insurance one new hire at a time please visit our website, www.wearefinpro.com for more information. Good morning and welcome to the Leadership Insurance Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Bond, and I'm very lucky today to be joined by Rotem, who's CEO and founder of At Bay. Good morning, sir. How are you? Doing well, Alex. Thank you for having me. No, no, thank you, and thank you for persevering. We've been we've been trying to do this one for a little while. So um, I think we were supposed to do it when I was I was in ITI and I was going to run back to my hotel room for doing it. So I was actually quite pleased. That's right. <laughs> yeah. All things, uh, all good things happen to those who wait, right? Absolutely, absolutely. No, um, I completely agree. And look, you know, at bay is a business. The reason that we've been so Persistent in trying to get it on. You know, we watch from afar. We 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 love a lot of what we hear. We're really excited about what you guys do. But just in case um, anyone's listening in isn't aware of At Bay and, and the business, it'd be great if you could do an intro to what it is that you guys do there. Yeah, sure. So you know, At Bay is is building. Uh, uh, we're building the cyber insurance company of the future, uh, or you know, that's what we hope uh, to do. Uh, we are a cyber insurance uh, MGA uh, operating in uh, working with our wholesale partners. What's uh, unique about AdBay in my mind is that uh, we we came to this problem from the security side. Um, and my background is in security. I spent uh, most of my career in security, started in, in the Israeli intelligence uh, technology unit where I was a captain there uh, for about five years. I'm an engineer by training. And uh, I found about eight years ago, I find myself working with the insurance industry on cyber insurance and um, granted uh, cyber insurance in 2014 looked very different than it does today, but uh, a lot of the principles remain the same. And what I found was that there's a, there's a real big disparity between the dynamic nature of cyber risk and the kind of traditional uh, underwriting machine uh, of, of, of PNC. So and just to, to be kind of very concrete about it, uh, I think the smaller gap that I found that is still meaningful is that uh, there's a lot of technical data that can be acquired and leveraged to underwrite. Uh, and, and really what it is, is that there are some companies who have holes in their security that are so big and so easy to find, it's a miracle they haven't been breached yet. And by, by forcing a, what we call a non-intrusive penetration test or a scan, um, on each one of those customers, we can stay away from the bottom 5%. And, and really that's kind of half the magic in, in insurance sometimes is if you can just stay away from the, uh, from the worst 5%. But by the way, it's not just staying away from them, it's being able to tell them what it is that makes them so bad. I mean, they probably wanna know, right? Yeah. An underwriting exercise is also a really good external uh, objective third-party assessment of your risk. And if somebody tells you they are not willing under any condition to sell you insurance, that is a red flag that you should uh, take into consideration, right? So actually working with them, explaining what we found, helping them fix it, and then uh, happily providing them insurance if they did uh, is, a, is kind of the first step. But the big issue, the big gap that we found was that it doesn't matter how good you are at underwriting. The problem remains that insurance is a year-long contract and you cannot change the terms 
for a full year. So whatever price you set needs to reflect the risk for the next 12 months. Now, the problem with cyber uh, risk is that it changes quickly. And most times it is not your fault as a company that your risk has changed. It's not anything you've done. So you could be a great company with great security. You're really on top of your, of your stuff. Now there's a new critical vulnerability in a Microsoft Exchange server or in an Apache Strut server or in a, whatever. You, know, you, have, you have dozens, if not hundreds of technologies in your stack. One of them is going to have an issue. That issue makes you the, one of the bottom 5%. Now, you, you haven't done anything wrong, but you are now at, te at terrible danger. And I, I, I can't know ahead of time who, who in my portfolio it's going to be because I don't know which one of the hundreds of technologies in your stack is going to be the one that has the critical vulnerability. It's just so dynamic and so much all over the place. Mm -hmm. And once, a, a, once there's a new critical vulnerability, the time it takes attackers to exploit it is days, if, you know, days or weeks tops. And, and so it's just not enough time to change your underwriting and, and, and kind of realign your book uh, by just underwriting once a year. You just can't wait to the end of the year. And so really what AdBay does that is unique is that we actively monitor the security of every company in our portfolio throughout the year. And whenever we see that you now have an issue that would have caused us to stay away from you uh, because you were too risky, uh, we have a security team that reaches out and helps you fix, fix the issue. And by doing that, we've been able to lower the amount of ransomware in our book by more than five times compared to the average in the industry. And that's really important because ransomware is the biggest attack vector in our in our industry it's more than 60 percent of our losses and so by having five times less ransomware we were able to have loss ratios that are just dramatically lower from the rest of the industry and then using that to maintain appetite and, and good pricing um, um kind of throughout uh this kind of hardening market um, and but, but the other thing that i'll say which is kind of just really important is that because of all our data collection is automatic we've automated the decision-making as well. And so really, it's not only is it a more granular kind of uh, underwriting assessment and an on, ongoing monitoring throughout the year, we also make a decision in 30 seconds. Uh, really, we took out the human from the middle of the decision-making. Again, this is true for SMBs. It's not true for the largest risks out there. But you know, for an SMB risk, uh, we made it so the broker is actually getting better service faster uh, first, faster quoting at a much higher quote ratio um, and, and a much higher kind of uh, win rate. And we're, and, and we're getting kind of more underwriting data and, and a better way of doing it. So uh, it kind of feels like a win-win. And, and that was the engine that kind of helped uh, fuel our, our growth over the last few years. It, I think it's so interesting when you're looking at such a, it's such a dynamic risk. Um, and, and it's something that there isn't necessarily any, any any parallel to that. You know, the speed of change. Um, you know, I was thinking about this. You know, I've obviously got my own small business, and that's that's you know, there's, there's an exposure there. Uh, I I definitely bury my head in the sand about it, which I think is a problem for a lot of small business owners. Um, but you know, the equivalent being that you you you've got a house and uh, someone's someone's putting holes in it, but if you can't see the holes, then you're not going to fill them up. And 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 that relationship, I think. You know, you guys felt like the start of a trend uh, towards that sort of proactive relationship between the insurer and the insured. Um, and we're starting to see that trend happen in different classes of businesses as well. Um, does it surprise you as someone that came from cybersecurity industry first and then came into the insurance industry, how much insurance is being offered without this kind of level of uh, understanding, continuous assessment of risk? Yeah, I, I mean... There's definitely a lot of things about insurance that weren't natural for me when I started. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe the strangest thing about insurance is that this is a product that you sell first and you learn how much it costs you a year later, um, mm -hmm. which is not how you typically would like to price a product. Uh, mm -hmm. you, would, you would like to know that you're, how much money you're going to be making uh, before, before you offer it. Um, it's, um, th that, there's a built-in lag between where the actual risk and the actual prices and your, and your actions, right? You're, you're only going to discover it after the fact, and you're always kind of chasing where true risk uh, is at. I, uh, I think another part that surprised me was that how much of, how much of this business was 
just moving around data and not really making decisions. So underwriters at their best are, you know, these amazing kind of uh, risk managers who can be really thoughtful and can really help guide and partner with a broker and a company to not only help them kind of discover what is their kind of, what is their risk, but then also tailor the right coverage for them. But in SMB market, a lot of what they were first doing is just copying and pasting data from one form to another, from one system to another, from one PDF to a, to a system, uh, doing a lot of manual, you know, back office, middle office work that is, is not inspiring and not really that useful for them. Uh, also not exciting. Um, there's insurance is very, um, you know, uh, there are a lot of companies out there. Each one developed their own IT systems. And most IT systems are 20, 30, 40 years old. And, um, and it's just, uh, just very clunky. The whole thing just feels very, very clunky. Uh, uh, and, you know, one of the benefits of starting a company in, you know, 2017 was that uh, we were able to build our technology stack from, from scratch. And we, you know, we designed a company where engineers are in, in every part of the organization and, are, and have a, a major kind of presence in the leadership team. You know, myself, I have an engineering uh, background. Uh, we have a CTO in our executive team. And, you know, we made sure that technology is front and center. And, and so you end up just, just taking away a ton of the stuff that is just, I don't know, not inspiring. Uh, and you empower underwriters to really make a difference. Um, and, and, and that this ends up actually serving you and, uh, and serving your customers because you can provide just much better service. You're not, our underwriters aren't busy in, in just entering data into, into systems for compliance reasons. The whole thing just happens on its own. And so they, they get to just spend time with the broker and with the customer. Um, so, yeah. Just to, just to dive in. So, I'm just going to say, like, you've automated so much. What role does the underwriter play? And, and what's the kind of, um, what's, what's the kind of like ratio? Because everyone would be very underwriting talent heavy in their businesses, but you're essentially doing that kind of almost the thing that happened in banking, that for every investment banker you lost as a bank, you've got 10 engineers. Um, right. what's the so, ratio? What role do they play now? So, you know, if, if the, the, the way I, I think about, you know, the vision for the work of the underwriter, I, I would definitely uh, split it between the large complex and, uh, risks and the, the smaller risks. When it comes to complex risks, it definitely, I, I think that the way the industry has been dealing with those risks is actually really good. Uh, what we really want to do is, is just enhance uh, what already exists with just better data, more insights, and, and perhaps add uh, in-house security expertise into the conversation so that when we have a conversation with the customer and the broker, you know, we have an insurance expert and a security expert in that conversation. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to SMB risks, what we found was that the underwriters, you don't have enough time and you can't make money if you uh, spend, you know, days uh, and, and weeks on an account. You have to, uh, there's just a limited amount of time, a limited amount of time that the folks can spend on them. And so really, what it was until, you know, until now was just mostly just, you know, very basic categorizing. All right. What's your, what's your industry? What's your size? Uh, you know, just what's competition doing? Let me see, uh, you know, if I can be competitive here, just shoot it out. And you got like 10 minutes, you know, 15 minutes to, to get it out the door, you know, again, so we're trying to automate most of it and turn our underwriters to portfolio managers where you work with your broker on, uh, on a on a portfolio view of okay, what is the sum total of of your customers? What is the risk? What is the appetite? What are the things that they should be caring about? How can we kind of educate the portfolio? Uh, how can we put you guys in a better position? Uh, so instead of just moving around papers and and drowning in in administrative work, uh, being able to kind of step take a step back and have more strategic conversations with brokers about kind of how to manage the portfolio appetite uh, risk and, and how to just kind of empower the brokers to provide better advice and, and better coverage to their customers. Is it fair to say as well that, that arguably that work, that SMB market in the cyberspace wasn't even particularly profitable prior to, without that automation, because the volume that you would require would, would, would just sort of negate any profitability, one would imagine. 
Yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's true. I mean, the um, you know the thing about insurance is that when the risks are very small, you can uh, you can probably just do portfolio underwriting, meaning just give everybody the same price and not even do any underwriting and just try to make you know try to create the, an average price that that makes sense. But when the risks go get a little bit bigger, you can't afford to have a portfolio underwriting approach, and uh, and that's where we think. Um, this kind of breaks down and for a lot of the other issue is that it's it's very non-standard um so it required kind of the wholesalers to do quite a bit of work uh to try and make sure they they answer the the right questions and 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 do the the things that the underwriters need to be able to to process so it definitely you know it was i think it was not profitable but also just very intensive very cumbersome um uh there the other part is that because cyber is new a lot of brokers there aren't many good brokers and good underwriters in cyber insurance yet. And so uh, they just ended up having way too much work than they could handle. Um, and, and I think that coming in with automation and, and, you know, maybe when, when, you know, when we launched in 2018, most SMBs were not buying cyber insurance yet. So it was manageable, but as more and more companies started to buy insurance uh, it was, you know, brokers start to gravitate more and more towards the automated solutions that, that, that we've we've offered uh, because there were there was just no other way for them to process all of their work and, and obviously it speaks to you know my, my role is uh, working in the recruitment sector we always talk about you know people don't leave businesses because of money they you know fulfillment furtherment of career leaving managers uh, and it speaks to that kind of rewarding part of the job you know like taking away that yeah, heavy administrative burden, workload, and getting into that relationship management. Um, presumably, you know, it's difficult to say, but have you ever got feedback from people that joins your business from other businesses in that there's more enjoyment from that sort of relationship-driven approach? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, first of all, when when folks come in, uh, typically their, their first uh, reaction is just to be blown away by just like how, how much more fun the process is, uh, you know, even before you get to the actual work, like the, uh, you know, like we have some folks tell us stories that when they need to issue uh, a binder, it takes their machine like 15 minutes to produce all the documents. And with that bay, it takes two seconds. And, uh, and just not just the idea that you could produce something and just have it immediately available. It, it feels almost like going from this, uh, you know, very old phone where nothing just kind of, everything's like, like, you know, slow and to this like new, you got this new phone, this new iPad. Uh, uh, sometimes, oftentimes it feels like, you know, going from coach to business class. Like it just feels, you know, everything's just a lot easier. You're, uh, you're the amount of like, I don't know, just like uh, the amount of manual labor that you need to do to just get your stuff done. Uh, and get off your desk is just so much lower that's more fun but and then the experience of having not only not only having a lot more data but having uh, a security expert join every one of your customer calls and providing technical support being able to have a much more technical and a much deeper conversation about risk the feedback we get from our underwriters is that that this feels like such a such be better service to their brokers they feel like they're being elevated as professionals they're learning a ton. Um, so, you know, we've been lucky to be able to attract like really amazing people into our, our company because they're like, I'm too young to be part of the, like part of the industry that is just kind of, I don't know, staying left behind. I want to be where kind of it's, you know, it's cutting edge and uh, obviously being part of a fast growing company where everybody's asked to do more than, than they can to stretch their capabilities to grow. You know, we're promoting from within. Uh, so, you know, a lot of our, our regional managers, uh, our, our senior underwriters, these are all people that, that came in, worked their butt off, and just got further in their career a lot faster. They're managing books that are sometimes, you know, 10 times bigger than what they did in their, in their old shop. And uh, so it's just very, very exciting, dynamic environment. And, you know, obviously the fact that everybody's a part owner of the company, everybody has equity, mm -hmm. um, being part of that journey, um, I, think, uh, I think it's really cool. And then maybe last but not least, uh, which is personally important for me is that, you know, we also have, by building an insurance company from scratch in the 21st century, we also have a chance to build a company that looks more like the world we want 
and less like the world we came from. Oh. And so I'm talking specifically about diversity mm-hmm. and, and, and inclusion. And, um, you know, at Bay is 50% women uh, from top to bottom, 50% of the leadership team. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, half of all the kind of VPs and executives in the company, all the way down to the individual contributors. Uh, uh, you know, it's it's interesting. It started as a point of emphasis, but at some point it just became self-sustaining uh, because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, amazing people saw a company that looked like the company they wanted to be part of and, and, uh, and, and joined. And we've been incredibly uh, empowered by just having access to better talent and, and then having that talent be kind of completely bought in and, and really um, excited about the, the culture and the environment. And, uh, you know, and, and they really see this as a place where they have a shot at getting, you know, at getting as, as far as, as possible. Um, so uh, that stuff's been, been really important for me. And especially as you climb towards the executive levels, I mean, the amount of 50 year old white men is just, you know, astounding, uh, the numbers. And, uh, I hope we can, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not 50 yet, but, uh, I fall into most of those privileged categories. Uh, but I'm, I'm hopeful that, um, uh, that, you know, I can be part of, of this change and help build, uh, kind of, uh, an industry that looks a lot more like the, the world we want, we want to see. Yeah. And, and, and that's the thing. I mean, we, we, we've been doing some stuff at FinPro. We, we have a series, which is, the female leaders in insurance technology, and and we, we're involved in as many DEI initiatives as we can, mainly if nothing else to sort of learn. But one of the you know the most obvious and biggest takeaways is that we talk about the insure tech community a lot because you've got a lot of really early stage companies, and 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 that's your opportunity to get it right. And and then as you found is that if you get it right and you bring in, and it's about bringing in senior talent, it's putting people in positions of power. It's not saying oh we've got fifty percent. Uh, men and women, for example, but the 50% that are women are all in like junior roles. You need to right. see leadership that's representative. And, and, and that's obviously then going beyond gender in, in, into all sorts of kind of different criteria about pe- how people self-identify. People need to see businesses that look like them. Um, and there's two sides of that. One is people coming into your business. And, and I've seen that a lot more in my role in the last kind of particularly 24, 36 months people are not prepared to go and work for businesses where, you know, if I'm talking to a talented woman, senior leader, going, trying to bring her into, it's a lot harder if, if I'm pointing and saying, well, do you want to join this business? And you go, who's the leadership team? And you go, these eight 40 to 50 year old white guys. Um, and, and exactly, I fall in that category as well, but it, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. So if you get it right and, and people could look at your business and, and if you're sort of an ambitious woman that you're looking at businesses to work for, if you can see that you're self-represented, then you're going to do that. But flipping on its head, it, it, I had a really good conversation. I mentioned this guy twice now, um, but I, I met BRZ uh, Insurance um, at um, the the uh, ITI event, and 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 their whole thing was look, the Latinx people in America don't buy insurance because they're not represented in any of the kind of insurance marketing, uh, things are not, not Spanish language. You know, they've got two service centers, one in Mexico, one in, one in Brazil. Um, even their marketing is just representative of, of the 68 million uh, Latino women, uh, people that are in the US. Uh, and it's something I was obviously oblivious to, one, not you know, being a Brit, and secondly, you know, being, a, <laughs> being, a, being all the privileges I could be and a, and a white guy. And it was so inherently obvious when he pointed it out. It's like, yeah, you wouldn't want to buy insurance from people that don't represent you. So, yeah, hugely important and hugely interesting. Um, something I wanted to ask you, 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 you come from an engineering background. There's lots of engineers in the business. You started the business, um, you know, in 2017. Do, do you think you would change how much tech you built? And, and, and there might be more of a balance between buying and building now because there is so much out there to support insure tech startup businesses. Oh, yeah, 100 percent. I mean, when, when we start, we started, it was we were part of the first wave. So, you know, the, the first companies that, uh, by the way, when, when, you know, early days, I. I was I was frustrated by. I did not believe that I could build an analytics company and that people would actually use, use what I built because 
I thought that um, at the end of the day, the heart of an insurance company is underwriting. And uh, it's the one, like making decisions on, like making risk decisions is the one thing they will never outsource. And, I, and so I felt I had to build an insurance company uh, to be able to, uh, uh, to actually kind of push the ceiling and, and leverage all of the expertise from security. But it felt like a very daunting experience. I mean, I've, nobody, nobody was building insurance companies. It was very early. And, and I remember as we, were, uh, as we were kicking around this idea, uh, Lemonade just came out of stealth and the founders are also Israeli. And um, so, you know, I connected with them. I was like, and, and they said like, look, I mean, it's, it's definitely complex, but, you know, so is cybersecurity. So, you know, you can, yeah. you, you, I mean, you, you seem like a smart guy, you can figure it out. And so uh, I was like, well, I don't know if I can, but I know somebody who can. And, uh, and that's when I called up my co-founder and, uh, and said like, you know, uh, you got to build an insurance company. And, uh, and, you know, you start, you start slowly. Uh, there was nothing. I mean, we were, um, even the idea of how to set up an MGA was, was for, for, for people who came from outside the industry. Um, yeah, the resources, it wasn't clear where the resources even were, who to ask the question. So uh, I think we, you know, if we were to launch this now, we would probably have saved, you know, close to a year on development. We probably would not have had to develop a lot of the back office that just even the back, you know, even the companies that we did work with in the beginning have done so much work and are in, are so much better today than they were five years ago that Five years ago, we just couldn't use it. It wasn't good enough. Today, it would have been good enough and we would have been able to use it. So um, yeah, I mean, 100%, it's just like, and I mean, this is following the, the exact same you know, blueprint of FinTech where you're starting with a few trailblazers who make everybody else interested in the space. And then you're starting to see not only kind of consumer facing companies, but a lot of infrastructure companies coming in and building the infrastructure um, and just making it, you know, lowering the barriers uh, to, uh, to enter. But I will say that the, the biggest barrier in insurance remains capital and, um, uh, the ability to access, the ability to access capital, uh, in, in a good way. And, uh, that part, you know, you know, it's interesting, every different stage of a company, the stuff that keeps you up at night is very different. Uh, what, you know, when you just start, you have nothing, you know, nothing, uh, you're trying to come up with a product and a go-to-market strategy that that makes sense. We call it product market fit, um, you know. And so that's kind of where all of your concern. You know, when we launched our product, initially did very poorly uh, because, uh, not surprisingly, we knew nothing about what it took to sell insurance. Um, and so, you know, we fixed it. Uh, we got good, great feedback that it sucked. And then we fixed it and then uh, we got great feedback that it was working. So, and, you know, once you pass that stage, you're like, all right, somebody's willing to buy this. Then you realize, oh my God, I, I'm not going to be able to actually sell a lot of these because I don't have any of the infrastructure. Mm -hmm. um, I'm just, you know, everything is manual. Everything is like not built. Um, I just don't have the, you know, even scaling from doing a uh, hundred scans a day to 10,000 scans a day. It's like that takes a lot of, of scaling of the business. Um, and, uh, and so that was kind of a key concern for us for, for a very long time. And then once you reach scale at a company, you know, and, and ad bay today is you know, we're, we're processing kind of hundreds of thousands of, of submissions in, in a year, uh, maybe even more. We're, I think we're issuing more than a million documents a month. Wow. And it's become a high scale business at this point. Mm -hmm. then your concern kind of changes. Okay, where am I going to get the supply of capital uh, to support my continued growth? And it's just an interesting journey. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I wanted to, yeah, I wanted to sort of take a pause on, because I really want to dig into to, to, um, some of the challenges on the journey. And I think we touched on some really interesting ones there. But just to paint a picture um, of the App Bay business now today, what does it look like? Geographies you're focusing on, numbers of people, um, you know, bits and pieces. Because where are you? Sort of Series B on the funding round? I think you've raised. No, so we're a we're a Series D company. We raised uh, three hundred million dollars uh, yeah. to date. Um, last valuation was one point four billion dollars. That was about a year ago. Um, you know, even though uh, public markets are not doing very well, uh, AdBay has grown 
uh, almost, uh, I think, well, about four and a half times, we're four and a half times bigger than we were exactly a year ago when we signed to Series D. Wow. So we're, we're wow. still growing at a really fast clip. Uh, we're at about, uh, you know, I think in June, we're going to pass about $340 million in, uh, in premium run rate. Uh, we have about 220 people. Um, you know, we're adding 2,500 new customers um, a month to our to our book. Uh, out of the 220 people, we have about 70 people that are pure R&D, data science, cybersecurity research, um, and then the rest of the organization is around, you know, underwriting, uh, claims management, uh, you know, finance, marketing, uh, all that stuff. Um, that's kind of where we are. We sell, we're exclusively in the U.S. Uh, we, we work uh, across the country in five kind of, uh, we have four regional offices and um, we, uh, you know, we have a, a bunch of people that are remote and uh, yeah, I mean, we're exclusive to the wholesale community, which is a thing that is a little bit different about AdBay and, and some of our other startup competitors. Um, you know, we're very loyal to, uh, um, to our wholesale partners um, they've, they've been incredible partners to us. And, uh, and so that's, that's kind of the focus for us on the go to market side. Um, yeah, brilliant, brilliant. I, uh, I think my brain had a meltdown there because I had the number and I was thinking that's the biggest series B I've ever seen. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I know you, I know you hit the magic unicorn status as well. I'm always, uh, I'm always interested if anyone has a unicorn party. Um, but, um, but, but, but touching on this, <laughs> it's just, I'm always, a, 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 this is just a personal question um, from a kind of um, point of view of, you know, I, I run a very small business and, um, but obviously we bootstrap everything. But when you're doing venture backed businesses, does, does it ever get scary? Did you ever sort of stop and think these are pretty big numbers? Does it? Does oh my it... God. <laughs> all, the, all the time. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I think the, look, when, when we first started, all we had was a PowerPoint deck and it wasn't even like a really good one. And, <laughs> and investors were like, you know, here's three and a half million dollars, go try and build something. And I was like, that was, that was scary because I never, I mean, I look, I, I was, I was an executive before and I managed people and I had a budget that was bigger, but you know, it was a, an established company and it, uh, it didn't feel like it felt when it was just there, we have nothing and there's absolutely no guardrails. Um, uh, and I think that, you know, when we, um, when we raise our series, you know, then 3 million becomes 30 million and 3 million become 300 million. And the numbers just become, yeah, just, you know, they feel insane. The, the revenue part, the, 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 the scale of the business, the amount of people, like all of it, you know, I think one thing about COVID, which is interesting, is that it masked a lot of the growth because, you know, I, you, you don't see all the people that joined the company and, and you don't necessarily see the, the momentum the way that maybe we would have seen in, you, know, you don't feel it. We've just recently reopened our offices and, um, you know, I traveled to meet back teams and suddenly you're surrounded with 70, 90, 100 people and you're like, oh, wow, this is like a big company now. And uh, so, yeah, it feels, I, I, you know, personally, I've been, I've been challenged and stretched more than any other time in my career. Uh, every time you get comfortable, you immediately get uncomfortable again. Um, the ambition is, is just really high across the board. Uh, the mission we're trying to build. Uh, and it's just, it's, look, it's, it, the exciting part is that it's, I feel like, you know, sometimes you need to be in the right place at the right time. And we, I, I feel fortunate to have found myself in a place where it's just uh, there's just a lot of really good momentum for the business. And so it's just been growing really, really fast. So you're just, there's almost no time to think about uh, and reflect about what is going on. You just got to always be in, you know, be in the moment and, and execute uh, uh, to your best. But yeah, it's uh, I still go back and, 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 uh, and just the sheer scale of the numbers feels uh, feels ridiculous to me. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad though. I think if it didn't, then I think you'd, you'd be you'd taking it serious enough. Yeah, right? I mean, I'd be a psychopath if I yeah. didn't. Uh... I've got a really good friend of mine called uh, Rupert, who is a headhunter and is a, is a really good guy. And he went into investment banking before he worked in recruitment. And, and 
and uh, uh, he basically came out and went into recruitment. He said, "The day I get comfortable betting hundreds of millions of dollars of other people's money is 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 is, is, is that's never going to be me." <laughs> and right. uh, and 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 that's why he actually walked away from that industry. And and it was just sort of talking about that pressure. And so I'm always intrigued. And I, I don't, funnily enough, for all the people I've had on the podcast, and we're sort of up to nearly 100 episodes now, I've never gone. What does it feel like to kind of put put you know? Put yourself on the line for that. I've got, I've got great respect for it, especially with a company growing so much. But it's a really interesting point you made about not being able to see the people. It's almost kind of yeah. hidden from you the scale of growth. Um, do you yeah, think- but I will. Sorry, by no. the way, just yeah, no, just one more smaller thing. I will say that you know the interesting journey for me was that when when we started, you know, there was an intellectual curiosity. I wanted to solve cyber risk. I wanted, uh, I, I thought that there was a really important business to be built here mm-hmm. uh, where we could help figure out risk and help guide customers. So a lot of the, and still to this day, you know, from, from a, a, a mission perspective, you know, you know, my, my mission is around um, leveraging the position of the insurance company to really learn what matters about cyber risk and then use what we learn to help standardize the industry, guide our customers, provide them with great risk transfer and and great risk management. But the one thing that kind of surprised me in the journey is that as you start building it, it's, you're not, you're no longer on your own. You now have in the beginning dozens. And then at this point, hundreds of people that join your journey that wake up every day, every morning and give everything they have to try and build this business together with you. And you become in a way responsible for not for their journey, for their outcomes, for their success. And at least personally for me, that has now become a much bigger and more important, you know, driving force in, in my own journey. Um, because there's, there are so many people who are just doing amazing, amazing, incredible. They're not the founders of the company yet. They wake up every day as if they were the founders. It's their baby. They, they, they give, you know, they poured their heart and soul into the business and, uh, it's really important for me that they have, uh, you know, an amazing journey and an, an amazing outcome. And uh, that's not something that I necessarily understood that was going to happen when, when we got started, but uh, it's, you know, at the end of the day, it's like numbers are numbers, but people kind of, that's the stuff that really matters uh, when, you know, when you go to sleep, it's um, so, and, and that's the stuff that, we, that keeps me up at night. If it's, if I feel, you know, that I'm, that I'm not doing as, as good a job as I, as I want to. So. Yeah, yeah, no, I understand that. And you know, there's been a, there's been some really, there's been some really tough moments as well for other other insurtechs out there at the moment. We've had to let people go, and and you know, it's um, it's the challenge between growing really aggressively, um, and and then you know, if the funding doesn't happen, then then you're in a difficult spot. So, yeah, it's it's a huge responsibility. Um, I wanted to take it back to something you touched on. Firstly, I love the fact that you started with a bad PowerPoint slide because I keep seeing some really snobby pitch competitions where they're like no powerpoint and i'm like if the idea is good enough i don't care if it's written on a napkin you know if you've got the right team and the right idea then that should take precedence as to whether you know how to build uh you know really exciting pitch decks uh, i'm not saying they're not important but that sort of stuff frustrates me um uh, but taking it back you, you you touched on a few things what did you get wrong at the start i'm really intrigued about that and, and then you know was it right thesis wrong application um yeah i mean yeah we got i can i can fill a, a full hour with the stuff we get wrong <laughs> the early days. but right, I'll, no, I, I will say one one thing that was was very surprising to me in the beginning was that i thought that if you could underwrite better then it's obvious that you can translate that into a better product and win in the marketplace mm-hmm. by being a better underwriter by having better risk and that is actually not true uh, in insurance. So here's the thing about underwriting. So first of all, neither the broker nor the customer care about how much money you're going to make. If anything, you know, they, they don't want you making a lot of money because that means they got a bad deal, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you need, you want, you want to make sure that your capital providers get a good return and a solid return and, and that you're being responsible with, with their money. But as far as winning in the marketplace goes, you're trying to squeeze out the best coverage and price for a given kind of loss ratio target, right? And here's the, here's the problem with underwriting well, is that the more, 
the more you know about a company, it doesn't necessarily translate into giving them a better rate because at least half the times that what you discover makes you like the company less, right? Yeah. So if you're coming in, so when we, we, when we came in, we did all these scans, collect all this data and, 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 and at least half the times we were giving worse terms because of what we found, not necessarily better terms. And then the broker, the brokers, like you're un, you're unpredictable. And sometimes you give me great product, but sometimes you give me shitty product. There's somebody else out here who's not doing any of the stuff you're doing. And they're always cheap. Because mm-hmm. uh, the problem is that if for you to be able to, so you need a couple of things to happen to be able to leverage great underwriting to win in the marketplace. One is that you need rational competition. If there's somebody out there that is always really, really cheap, then from a broker perspective, they are a lot more predictable and a lot easier to work with than somebody like you who takes a lot of, um, you know, takes, take, takes their time and tries to figure it out. The second part is you need capital partners who allow you to be selectively aggressive, mm-hmm. right? And oftentimes what you find is that when capital is loose, then so are so is your competition. Mm-hmm. Uh, because when people, when distribution companies get access to loose underwriting guidelines, they tend to over, overheat and, uh, and, and compete too much. Uh, and so, you know, the, the, the real magic is, and it took us, you know, it took us a while to figure it out. The, the real magic is that historically in insurance, the trade-off was between speed and depth of underwriting. You, you had to choose one because, mm-hmm. because spending, like doing more underwriting work meant that it would be slower, it would take more time, it would be more complicated, it would, be, it would create more friction for the broker and the customer. Mm-hmm. And our ability to actually get mu- much more data through our scans, but then also to provide a result a lot faster than competition, even though our competition isn't collecting all this data, they're actually taking longer than we are. So... You know, you collect 100x more data points, but then you make a decision in 11 seconds from start to finish. So the collection, the analysis, the results, and the, and the, the binding, the whole thing takes under 30 seconds. You know, that was the magic because we could achieve better speeds and better underwriting uh, by leveraging technology. And that's something that I didn't really understand before, before we started. And one thing that's really great about competing by having better, faster service is that as far as the broker is concerned, if you're slow, you better be cheap. What, what it means is that if you can compete on service, you don't have to compete on price. And so you don't have to get pushed to a position where your only way of winning is to lower prices and therefore jeopardize your underwriting results uh, and your loss ratios. Um, and, uh, and I think that that's just really key for especially when you work in kind of SMB and mid-market spaces, the ability to achieve effectiveness and, and speeding up the process means that you can, can do a really good job on service levels and you don't have to compromise your, your pricing. Mm. Your, your, your depth of knowledge and, and, and of cybersecurity sort of reminds me of the, the old adage of insurance that claims people t- tend to make terrible underwriters. Because when you see... <laughs> When you've seen the, the back end of it, you wouldn't underwrite anything. Um, and it's getting oh, 100%. Um, yeah. When we, by the way, when we started, our security team uh, wouldn't want to sell insurance to anybody. No. Because uh, <laughs> every, everybody was, they, they found something wrong with everybody. And, and, and it was a real learning process for us to say, like, okay, uh, you know, obviously the lowest loss ratio is not selling a single policy. You're never going to have a claim. But mm-hmm. can we find a price in which this is profitable? you know, and, uh, and, and training on, uh, also, by the way, training everybody, both the underwriters and the security people to only concentrate on the things that actually drive meaningful losses. Uh, instead, because in security, oftentimes, because you have no idea what, it, where money actually gets lost, you tend to talk about everything. Uh, you also try to portray yourself as an expert. So you, you bring, you build best practices and frameworks with like just so, so many, dashboards and it's just so convoluted and nobody can can follow uh and and you lose your audience where with an insurance company if it's if it's important then show me how that changes the policy either price has changed or the sublimit or the retention or or you're even not willing to sell it to me right 
and if you're not really changing your price or your terms, it means it's not important, or at least, you know, uh, so actually using the insurance policy as the ultimate, you know, uh, testament of whether this thing matters or not, um, I think is, is a really important kind of focusing and enforcing function for, for our security team and our underwriters. Interesting, interesting. Um, I'm conscious of our time and I, and I, I want to sort of move towards the future because I think, you know, you've got such momentum in the business. Um, want to talk about kind of what's next for you and, and like what are you excited about for the future of, the, of your business and, and maybe more broadly the industry? Um, <laughs> yeah, so, um, you know, from the... When I, you know... When I was in security, the thing that frustrated me the most was that um, the technology company that build your technology stack don't take any responsibility over their role in the failures of your security. You know, I'll use a, a quick example. Imagine you bought a car for your business because you wanted, you needed to drive around, and you know, you drive around, and then suddenly your brakes fail, and when you survive the crash, you learn that the brake manufacturer posted on their blog site, on their blog post, that they have a critical vulnerability in their brakes that you needed to patch yourself. And so they're not going to, they're not going to call you up. They're not going to recall the car. They're not going to fix the brakes themselves. And they are definitely not going to be liable for any damages that happened to you because the brakes failed. Yeah. And so now you need to be up to speed on their blog. Now, imagine you had 50 different vendors of parts in your car. And each one was going to break twice a year. Mm-hmm. All you wanted was a car. I mean, you're a small business owner. You just want to drive to work. Now you need to have a full-time mechanic reading blogs of these different vendors, patching and fixing systems on a weekly basis to make sure that the car doesn't crash. And by the way, this is where my metaphor breaks a little bit. Also, in cyber insurance, as a small business owner, you're up against the Chinese army, the Russian mafia. Like, these are big, big, scary, highly resourced, very sophisticated attackers. There is no military. There is no FBI. There is no police. It's a wild west. There's, you're on your own and, and on the internet, you are next door neighbor with every criminal on the planet. And like that stuff is like, we're, we're just asking so much from, from small businesses. And what I like about insurance is that insurance has always played the role of market standard setter. I mean, if you, I, I, I can bet that on your ceiling, you have a smoke detector right now. And it's probably not because you are passionate about smoke detection technology and its effectiveness uh, against fires or that the specific brand of the smoke alarm is one that you just really kind of buy into what they do. It's probably because the insurance company forces your your the whoever built your 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 apartment to uh, or your house to um, to have it installed, uh, and so the insurance company ends up figuring out what matters and then using its policy to force certain things to be adopted. Right, seatbelts became a law after the insurance companies mandated that they wouldn't sell insurance unless there was a seatbelt. Same thing is going to happen in security. There are all these vendors running around promising a bunch of stuff. Nobody knows what matters. There are a bunch of of IT companies who build porous, fragile technology stacks that keep breaking with absolutely no accountability to what they're building. And you know what? Today, you know, just to give you one example, if you have a Microsoft Exchange email server, we find that you have 125% more likely to have a, uh, to have a, a a breach and so we don't you know we tell you either you move to google or you go to office 365 or we're going to double your premium and so now microsoft needs to decide whether it wants to be the the product that causes you to double your premiums Mm -hmm. you know Uh, or maybe they want to do something about it Um, and um, i just love the opportunity that we have to to learn and to to set standards to use our policy uh, to just push the world to, towards a better place. Uh, to me, that's that's where to be able to do that, you need to be a credible insurance company. You need to show that what you're doing actually works. So our ability to build and grow an insurance company to show that what we're doing actually drives down ransomware loss. You know, the fact that we've been able to save hundreds of businesses from having a ransomware 
like that stuff is to me is, is, is amazing. Mm. Um, you know, but then on the, on the more personal kind of company side, I, I'm, I mean, we touched on, uh, on this a little bit earlier. I mean, for me, the exciting part is I, I feel like we're building a really special company. I really do. Um, I, we are, we have amazing people, you know, we have good people that are, you know, we have like this no asshole rule. I mean, there's just, you know, you, you have to be good at your job, but you also have to be a really good person. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I feel like we're building kind of a company that is just, uh, I don't know, uh, it's just inspiring in terms of the, the talent, the, the people, the way they, they treat each other, the way they work together. I'm, I'm, I'm just super pumped of, uh, about like that, that part. Like, it's just really, really, um, it's probably the, the, the proudest I've, I've been in, in anything I've ever done in my life. Just, just seeing kind of these people come together and, and what they can build together. Uh, that stuff, if we can grow this and, and help push this to be kind of the new standard, uh, um, in, you know, in, in our industry, to me, that would, that, that would be kind of the dream. What a wonderful place to, uh, to bring it to a close. I think, I think that's a, that, that's such a nice, uh, thing to hear because, um, yeah, but using insurance as a force for good is definitely something here, but actually kind of the mechanics of that, I obviously then immediately got nervous about what email server I'm using. Um, <laughs> I think it's 365. I think I'll be okay. Um, uh, but, um, but yeah, no, I, I think absolutely that, you know, you can get lost in the numbers and the hype of, you know, venture capital back to businesses and, and actually like stripping it back to, you know, being a no arsehole rule company uh, that's a good place to be and learn and, and develop is, 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 is something we should all aspire to. So thank you so much for being a guest. Um, I'm really glad we got to do this. This is a lot of fun. Um, yeah. And I just really appreciate your time. So thanks for being so kind for being a guest on the podcast. Yeah. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. As always, this podcast is brought to you by FinPro Search Partners, often simply known as FinPro. FinPro is an executive recruitment business working in the insurance and insure tech space on an international basis. If you would like to find out more about FinPro, please visit our website, www.wearefinpro.com or our FinPro company page on LinkedIn. I've been your host, Alex Bond, and I would personally love to connect with anyone who is interested in the changing world of insurance. So feel free to reach out to me directly, um, either on LinkedIn or via my email, uh, alex at wearefinpro.com. I hope you enjoyed the podcast, and I hope to see you back next week. Thank you.